So tonight we're in the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 52. And if you have a Bible, let's open up there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to, to get one. And if you don't own one, if all you do is read it on your phone, we'll give you one, man. Not a leather one, but we will give you a Bible because it's so important to have one on paper. As today, you know, we're going to talk a lot about justice. There's different uh, topics that are woven throughout these three Psalms. Have you guys ever said those words, that's not fair? You ever said that? That's not fair. I can't believe, you know, Manny is doing that or whatever. That's not right. Or, you know, that's not just, you know. And, uh, and so I think we all feel that way sometimes, you know, decisions are made. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your, you know, your spouse or someone who has in that position of authority or just whatever. Things happen. I mean, it's just not right. I, I was reading, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, I think it is. You have to give her the, you know, that, 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 that confession or that profession, a, a gal that said she was raped by her dad over 200 times. Think about that. I mean, your father doing that to you over 200 times. You know, and here you are and you're, and you're, and you're, you know, you're thinking, how could this guy be dealt with? Lord, is he going to get away with that? You know, and we look around the whole wide world and there are injustices happening all around us. And we wonder, and Lord, how is it all going to work out? And sometimes if you take your eyes off the Lord, and if you don't realize that God is a just God, and one day He will make all wrongs right, that He will deal with everyone perfectly and flawlessly, if you don't know that, then you might stumble. So just encourage you as we go through our Psalms today to really trust in the Lord. I'm thinking about the Supreme Court justice and all the things that are going on there. I was also thinking about this pastor, Pastor Andrew Brunson. Have you guys heard of this uh, pastor? He's been in the news a lot lately. He's an American pastor in Turkey, and he was arrested in October 2016 during the purges that occurred after the 2016 uh, Turkish coup attempt that failed. And so after that uh, coup, you know, the president went after everyone there in Turkey that he was suspicious of, even, you know, times where he had no substance to his uh, uh, accusations. But this pastor, this evangelical pastor uh, of a small Protestant church, we think about only 25 members in that church, was arrested. And then um, what we find is that he is now facing, October uh, 13th, I think it is, he is facing 35 years in prison for doing nothing wrong. All he did was share the gospel, love the people. He's been in Turkey for 23 years, and he's been an upright citizen. But what the government has done is they've taken this Christian pastor, they've put him in jail, and they've told the United States, in order for you to get this guy out, we want to get one of our Muslim preachers who you have in USA there safe. You make the exchange, and then we're good. So all he is is a pawn. You know, in the justice system, he brought uh, uh, close to 20 witnesses on his behalf to testify of his innocence, and the judge heard none of them. And then what the judge did is he had multiple witnesses on, on the prosecuting side, and they had video monitors with their faces distorted, and he took everything in. And, and what we find going on here is this guy is not being dealt with in a just way. I mean, when he was first arrested, think about it, he was picked up with 21 other guys, and they were all stuffed in a cell that was made for only eight. And so now he's in there, and, and you wonder, because not only him, you guys know this, right? There are hundreds of thousands of, of, of Christians uh, around the world that are incarcerated, and many that are persecuted. And you look at the world, so many things that are going wrong, and, and it just doesn't seem right. And it's just not just. And that's when we come back to what we're going to read today. That understand, no matter what the wrong is, God's going to make it all right. And we have to remember that. Let that be an anchor for us. Let that be something that would encourage us when we go through those hard times. Okay, so Psalm 52, notice what we read in, in verse 1. It says, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David when Doeg the Edomite went and told Saul 
and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. And verse 1, Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. And so the background to this, we read there in the introduction, is uh, regarding this guy Doeg. And you guys have to read uh, 1 Samuel 21 and 22, and you get the background to it. And so what had happened was, do you guys remember, David was fleeing because Saul wanted to kill him. And so uh, David goes to the city of the priests. It's a city called Nob. And he goes there. He's on the run. And he asks the priest, hey, do you have any resources? Do you have any, any food, any provision? And so uh, the priest says, well, all we have is this bread that was just taken out of the, 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 the tent of the tabernacle. I guess I can give you that. And then David asks, well, do you have a, a sword? Anything that I, because I was in a hurry, you know, and, and the priest is going like, what's going on? David, you're, you're Saul's man. I mean, you're, you're a good guy. What's going on? And then David is just saying, you know, I just, uh, I'm on the secret mission of Saul and I, and I just need some provision. And so the priest believes him. The priest gives him bread. The priest gives him the sword of Goliath. And then David splits. But, but what ends up happening is there was this guy named Doeg who was there that saw that all go down. And then, you know, you fast forward. And then one day Saul is there. He's, remember, trying to kill David. And Saul is there underneath this tree. He's got a spear in his hand. And he's wondering, why doesn't anybody tell me what's really going on? Why is everybody you know, picking David's side? Isn't anybody on my side? And then this guy Doeg says, well, I've got some information for you, Saul. I, I want to tell you about these priests, this priest over here, this high priest, Ahimelech. He gave David provisions. He gave David weapons. And he inquired of the Lord for David, which was a lie. It wasn't true. But Doeg lied. And so as a result of that, Saul brought the priest there and 85 other men, they were all priests, they were all men of the linen. And, 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 and as uh, you know, the priest is there, Saul questions him. He says, why'd you do this? And, and Ahimelech says, what are you talking about? David's one of your main guys. He's a good guy. Uh, I, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I gave him some bread. I gave him a sword. I figured he was on one of your missions. And, and Saul, I didn't inquire of the Lord for him. I didn't. That's not true. And Saul says, you're lying. I don't trust you. And so what Saul does is he tells his soldiers to kill him. But his soldiers wouldn't do it. His soldiers had some integrity. You know, they knew better. But then they told Doeg to kill him. Saul says, okay, Doeg, you heard all this. You kill him. And so Doeg goes and he kills the priest and 85 men. They go to Nob. They kill all their wives, all the women, all the children, all the animals, they slaughter the city. And so when that all goes down, David writes this psalm. You know, and, and it's a crazy background when you think about it. I mean, you know, David here is going to be hurting. He's feeling responsible for it. Uh, and it's such an atrocity. But, but notice again what we read in, in verse 1 it says, why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. You know, there are some who believe, this guy Doeg is so bad. There are some who believe he is actually a picture of the Antichrist. And, and it's, it's definitely uh, possible. He's an evil man guilty of satanic slander and mass murder. And, and he basically, he boasts in evil. David probably knew a little bit more about Doeg than we do. But, but here we see David defended God's goodness. And this guy right here, he's thinking evil's going to win. Look at verse 1. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? And David says, oh no, evil won't win. Look what he says in verse 1. The goodness of God endures continually. You know, and, and life has a way of throwing you curves, man. Life has a way of, of you just think, well, this is not right. There's no way that God can undo this. But you watch because he will. You know, we lose some battles, but we win the war, right? 
we get knocked down. But listen, we don't get knocked out because we are, we are children of God, right? I mean, what we see right here is that weeping it endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the evil man, he boasts in his evil. He thinks he's going to win. But basically, the goodness of God that endures continually, what, what that is is another way of saying Romans 8.28, how God works together all things for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. No matter what you're going through, no matter what it is, God is going to turn it around and God is going to work it for good. But this guy Doeg, he's bad. I mean, look at uh, verse 2. He says, your tongue devises destruction, like a, a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness, Salah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. And, and that's how it all started, right? It started with a dark and deceptive lie where, you know, Doeg said, Saul, I saw the high priest give David bread. That's true. Give gave David a sword. That's true. And he inquired of the Lord for him. And that was not true. And so all these, you know, people die because someone lied. Let me ask you a question. Do you hate lying? I pray that you do. You know, here you have this guy. In one sense, two-thirds of it was true, but one-third was not true. And that one-third costs these priests, think about it, God's men, their life, their families, the city was slaughtered because a lot of times people think, you know, half-truths are okay. No, a half-truth is a whole lie. And we have to watch, watch our mouth what we say because, man, that's the, the, I always tell you guys, right, lies are the language of Lucifer. You know, what we find is that our, our, our tongues can be swords that are razor sharp, and that any type of lie is the dialogue of the devil. You know, and you guys know this, right? The tongue can be a force for good, but it can also be a force for evil. And I, and I believe that Doeg, and this guy right here, for him to do that, you think about it just for a second, he had to be possessed by the devil. I, I think that with all my heart. Remember what Jesus told the Jewish leaders in John 8, 44? He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, and I don't know, um, you know, it's weird. Do you guys ever trip out on how some people, uh, they chronically lie? Do you guys know anybody like that? You can always, usually a drug addict, you, you always, you wonder, well, when do you know they're, they're, they're lying? And, and the answer is usually when their lips are moving, right? <laughs> you know, because it's just, it's crazy how, how when sometimes the enemy comes into someone's life, it's almost like they can't speak truth. You know, and, and, and what we find this guy Doeg was he, was, he was the two things the devil was. He was a liar and he was a murderer. And if you, can, you ever find a peace in lying, then you can be guilty of anything. Because all you have to do is do whatever it is you're doing and lie about it. And that's why Doeg was the man that he was. And that's why his tongue was like a razor-sharp sword that would kill people. I, I pray that we would have hearts of conviction to always speak the truth. Always. We have to be so careful. Notice what, what Doeg loved here in verse 3. He loved evil more than good. In verse 4, he loved all devouring words. I mean, it's crazy what he loved. And, and you wonder, well, how can people love such things? And the answer is because people are actually deceived into thinking that they'll get away with it. You know, I'll get away with it. Whatever it is, and I don't know what it is, hopefully you guys are all clean, because coming on a midweek service, that says a lot about you, okay? But you just never know. There might be someone out there in the pews today who's having an affair, and you think you're going to get away with it, or you got an emotional affair, you're getting high, you're getting drunk, or you're looking at porn, or whatever it might be, you're planning this, that, or the other, and God knows everything about it. 
Listen, you, we can't get away with it. That's the only way anyone could love a, a lie or, or love devouring words. And so, verse 5, David says, God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of, of the living. <laughs> Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. You know, and so God says to men like Doeg, evil men and, and women who don't have a conscience, they you know, they might have temporary victory. I'm sure Doeg was probably eating some good food and drinking some, you know, whatever, good wine. And maybe he's got the ladies and, you know, he's got the clothes and he's got the stretched chariot or whatever it might be. He's got money. He's an Edomite who Saul had, had promoted above the Israelites. I mean, this guy had, had big bucks and he was living the life for a while. But eventually, God is going to deal with him. Eventually, God would strike him down and make his life a ruin. God will destroy those who choose to dance with the devil. And that's who Doeg was. You know, and it's interesting. Look at verse 5. God shall likewise destroy you forever. Now, in one sense, it is God's judgment, but... It's not necessarily God who does it, right? I mean, Doeg has making his choice. And, and as a result of that, you know, he will be destroyed. We choose. We get to choose where we'll spend eternity, in heaven or hell. It's up to you. John 10.10 10 says the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Matthew 25.41, Jesus said the hell was made for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for people. It was made for the devil and his angels. If anyone goes there, it's because they want to. So right there, when it says God will destroy them, it's true in one sense because God is just and holy, but at the other side of that whole decision, it's the responsibility that we all have to make sure that we follow Jesus Christ. You know, in verse 6, uh, notice again, the righteous also shall see and fear and laugh at him. And what that means is when we, the righteous, see that man die, we will rejoice at God's justice and be reminded of the principle that we read in verse 7, that here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. You know, and I don't know. I don't know how it's all going to work, you guys. Maybe we're going to be there in, in you know, the great white throne judgment. There seems to be biblical uh, um, teaching that says that we're going to see Hitler get thrown into the lake of fire. We'll see the Stalins. We'll see the rapists who did not repent. We will see justice. And right there when it says laughing, it's not really like laughing in the sense, it's more like joy for the justice. And there's something about that that it, it just, I don't know, we, we got to know these things and no one gets away with it. You know, and so this is, this is the man. These, here's the man who did not make God his strength. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure David was furious. You know, and it's okay to be angry, man, with sin. And you get angry. I'm sure David was angry. I can't believe this guy killed all these priests and all these women and all these children. And, and basically, he writes his psalm and he says, man, God's going to get this guy. And there's, there's something about that that's okay. Unless he repents, unless it's something that he received, the righteousness of Christ, because Christ paid for those sins. It's a good thing. You know, so typical, this guy Doeg was into dollars and bucks, right? Even though he was an Edomite, he'd climbed the ladder. Saul made him over his own servants, according to 1 Samuel 22, 9. And now he just wants to make even more money. What's the, what's the motive? Why is he lying now? Why is he talking smack 
about, you know, Ahimelech, the high priest who was completely innocent. It's because Doeg saw an opportunity to make more money. A lot of times that's what it's all about. He trusted not in the Almighty, but he trusted in the Almighty dollar, right? And, 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 and so we read right here, notice again in verse 7, that he strengthened himself in, in his wickedness. And what that means is that he just got worse and worse. And that can happen, huh? You guys have seen it happen, man, where a person eventually hardens their heart so hard that they can do anything and they don't have a conscience any longer. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 is a good cross-reference where Paul is warning Timothy about these things. And he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I mean, to drown by, to die by drowning, oh, that would be awful, you know? I mean, I kind of like think about dying. I think, I want to just either get raptured or die in my sleep, Lord. Will that be okay, you know? But, you know, there's different ways, I guess. It's all a tough transition, right? But, but drowning uh, in, 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 in your pursuit of, of the things of this world, that's what he's saying right there. And, and, he, and he says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And the Lord will test you. He will test you. Manny, are you going to serve me? Or are you going to kind of go over a f- uh, for a few more dollars over there? I'm going to test you. You know, what's your price? You, do you have a certain price? Is there a certain way that you're going to compromise? Satan will pay it. And he knows our heart. He knows, the Lord knows, if that's what we're really all about. Because a lot of people, that's what they're really all about. A lot of pastors, that's what they're really all about. You know, and they're making the money, or whoever it might be. People in the Bible, they fell because of money. Right, People like Gehazi, who had such a great opportunity to serve in the ministry, or the rich young ruler. Imagine that. Imagine, I don't know where he's at right now, but if he's in hell, imagine the regret he had, because he had the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ, but he chose his riches over the calling of Christ on his life. You know, think of Judas. I tell you, you guys, we have to be so careful with these things. Here is the man who did not make God his strength. You guys, we have to make God our strength. And when God is our strength, life is so different. It really is. You know, David celebrates the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. In in verse 8, he says, But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever Because you have done it, and in the presence of your saints, I like this, I will wait on your name, for it is good. You know, because that's the key. Right now, maybe Doeg is living the high life, and, you know, there's that part of you that just wants to say, this is not right. And, And who knows, maybe even, and I thought about this, I don't know for sure, but maybe even David was thinking, I'm going to kill this guy. Because David was a bad dude. You guys know that, right? He killed Goliath. I mean, he was just a, a mighty soldier, and, 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 but he didn't. He just said, you know what? I'm going to let the Lord take care of it. I'm going to wait on the Lord. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So you don't have to go and get him. You don't have to put, you know, take the bull by the horns and take matters into your own hands. God will do a better job. And so here's David right here. And a lot of you guys are like there in verse 8. I'm like a green olive tree in the house of God. Some of you guys are like that. You know, you're, you know, like this plant that's thriving and effective and fruitful and productive. There you are in the house of God. Praise God for people like that, right? David says, that's who I am. Why? Because I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I don't trust in riches. You know, it would be cool if someone gave, you know, the church $100 million. But, 
you know, does that mean that, that now we're going to be right in God's sight? Does that mean that now I'll be able to, to save, you know, we'll be able to save a single soul? Absolutely not. Well, yeah, we'll get a big building. Well, I, that's all in God's hands. We don't need the riches of the world. We just need the riches that God provides. And what we find is that as we trust in his mercy, you know, God does the work. I don't trust in riches, nor do I trust in my own righteousness. I, I, I know you guys are, that are Christians. You trust in God's mercy, right, for us. You know, we have the full counsel of God, and we can say now, today, that we trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was nailed to a cross for us, the one who stepped off his throne and came down to save us, the one who spoke the greatest words ever spoken and did the greatest works ever done, the one that one day we'll see and we'll see his scars. We trust in him. You know, and somewhere along that line, we prayed that prayer. You know, Jesus, son of David, the same prayer that Bartimaeus prayed, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because I know what I deserve. I know I deserve to go to hell. I understand that, Lord. I don't deserve anything good. But Lord, have mercy on me. And because we prayed that prayer, you know, David says, now everything's different. Now I'm in the house of God now and forever. You see, and that's where our trust is. You know, Doeg was fighting his war for the enemy while David was fighting his war for God. You know, and there was no doubt about it. Even though Doeg won a battle, the war would be granted to David, not Saul or Satan, but the Savior. And that is the root and branch of David, none other than Jesus Christ. And so in verse 9, he says, so I will praise you forever. Even though all this judgment and justice hadn't happened yet, David knew. I love where he says, I will wait on your name. He just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was coming. Right? And so we read next in Psalm 53, it says to the chief musician, set to Mahalath, a contemplation of David. And he says in verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. Now, the fool here can either be a positional or practical atheist. Because we read in verse 1 that he said in his heart, there is no God, right? And so he may not have said it in his head intellectually or with his lips audibly, but he lives his life as if there is no God. And he said that in his heart. You know, and, and it's interesting, this psalm right here, some of you may have noticed that it's the same psalm, almost identical in wording to Psalm 14. But, but now you'll see, rather than the personal name, uh, Yahweh, there's the Hebrew Elohim, God is used. Uh, a little bit of wording different here and there. So more than likely, what's happening is you're seeing this psalm and now it's to different music. And, uh, and I think something interesting. You guys, have you learned this yet? That if something's repeated in the Bible, why? To emphasize it, right? To emphasize this. I always like to say repeated so you won't be defeated. So, you know, you heard it again and again and again, right? And it means something, right? And so the principle we see here is God wants to emphasize something. And what we find is whether it's an intellectual belief or a practical lifestyle, Anybody who says there is no God is a fool. Do you guys live your life every day with that cognizant presence of God, you know, there? You know, it's so important for us to make sure that we live as theists. You know, the one who says there is no God is, is, is a fool. I think it was Frederick Nietzsche, the German philosopher, who made that famous declaration, God is dead. You guys remember that statement? And yet here we are 138 years later and God's alive and Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> he died in August of the year 1900. But, but he wasn't the inventor of atheism. David speaks of it here in Psalm 53 
And so did Paul in Romans 1, and you read 16 through 25 and on. You know, it, it talks about how professing to be wise, they became fools because they suppressed the knowledge that God had given to them of his existence. How when you look at creation, all of his invisible attributes are clearly seen, you know, being understood by the things that are made. And so, um, you know, when you read uh, the, the, the book of Romans, it, it talks about how, you know, we need to make sure that we pay attention to the things that God has made. Then we know there's a God. And I was thinking about this whole thing. I've been, I don't know if you guys have been listening to Greg Glory lately, but I've been reading the book. It's a great book on the, on the Jesus Revolution. And it was talking about how, um, you know, there was the, the, the cover on Time magazine uh, that said God is dead. And that was back in April 8th, 1966. And I don't know if you guys, you guys were, none of you were born then, but you know, like the Time magazine, usually there's a picture on the cover of Time, but this is the first time ever in the history of the magazine that there wasn't a picture. It was the big black magazine with big red letters that said, is God dead? And, and it was just a, a dark time in history. You read about the things that were going on there, and it was crazy. But, but then, it's interesting, in June 21st, 1971, uh, five years later, there's the Time magazine, and, and, and on the cover, again, now, this time it's a, a picture of Jesus, and it says the Jesus Revolution. And it's just so cool to think that even in those dark days, God, and people were saying God's dead, God's gone. I think people are saying that today, and we're like, no, absolutely not. You know, the fool has said in his heart there is no God, but when we open our eyes, we realize that he is real. And so you look at this, the, the fool, the atheist, whether it be positional or practical, and, and then, you know, you might look at that and say, well, they're so bad but here's something that we got to think about before we, you know, annihilate these atheists. We need to concede to the fact that there was a time when we were there. That's really what David is saying here. And then Paul again takes the truth and makes it his point in Romans 3.19 that apart from Christ, we were all guilty of the same thing. You know, before I got saved, um, and everyone's different, but before I got saved, I said I believed in God in my head, but I didn't live my life as I believe if I believed in God in my heart. And you guys know what I'm talking about? Any of you guys were like that? Yeah, you're, you're a Christian, but you know, um, you don't really live like it. Or you are, are a theist, you believe in God, but you know, you're really not living that life. And, and basically what we're saying, seeing here is that, that this was all of us. Look, look at verse 2. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. You know, Paul quotes this in Romans three ten through 12. In Romans 3, 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Not all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And, and when you read Romans 1, 2, and 3, what you'll find is Paul is teaching that everyone is guilty. Everyone is guilty. We're looking at the fool here. He said in his heart, there is no God, but that was us. That's the world that lives without God. That's everyone. Before Christ and apart from Christ in our lives, there are none who do. There is none who seeks after God. Everyone has sinned and turned aside. No one does, not a single one does good. And so we were guilty before God. And think about that. Standing before the judge, if that were you, on the threshold of eternity, right? So what, what do we do? What can we do? And that's when we read, in verse 4, have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. How many of you guys like bread? You like to eat bread. I love bread. Pray for me. Man. <laughs> but here he says, imagine 
eating people like bread, treating people so bad. All the crazy things we did before Christ, cruel, heartless, like doeg, like a a dog-eat-dog world, you're you're in the way, no problem. I'll step on you. You're, you're married, no problem. I'll sleep with you. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Eating people like bread. That's us before Christ. That's us apart from Christ. And, that, and then he's just saying everyone's guilty. Proverbs 6.26, For by means of a heart a man is reduced to a crust of bread. You know, David describes them here as, as look at verse 4, workers of iniquity. And that should trigger truth from the Old Testament that then takes us over to the New Testament in which Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 13 in, in verses 23 through 27. You got these guys, they're knocking on the door and they say, Lord, Lord, you, 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 know, you taught in our streets, you ate in our presence, you know, we went to church. You know, and we know all about the religious stuff and the Lord is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. And why would they end up being workers of iniquity? And, and the simple answer is there. It says right there, they didn't call upon God. Verse 4, that's all you have to do, man. You know, I think most of you guys are here tonight. There's a couple of you I'm still wondering about, but for the most part... <laughs> You know, um, if you're here tonight and you don't know for sure whether or not you'll go to heaven and you're thinking, well, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, well, good. That's what the whole point. None of us are good enough. We're all, we're all sinners. We're all messed up. But the Lord loves you and he died for you. And all you have to do is like raise your hand. All you have to do is, is call on him. That's what I did that night. I just called on the Lord. And he came into my life and he saved me. And I know there's a God. It's undeniable because he came into my life and he set me free that night. I mean, and, and if that's you, and I don't know, there might be one person here and you don't, you're not really a Christian. All you have to do is call on the Lord. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved in Joel 2.32 and Acts 2.21 and in Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 13. You know, and, and the, the name of the Lord is articulated clearly in Acts 4, 10 through 12. As things get more clear for us, it's the name of Jesus, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so if you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord and you're struggling, all you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. Say, like we read earlier, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, come into my life. And when that comes from your heart, then you're saved. Then it's kind of interesting, because look back at verse 2. If you would, in Psalm 53, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Now, prior to becoming a Christian, you will never seek God. It's always Him hunting you down. But after you become a Christian, you do. Once you become a Christian, now you can seek after God. And we find that over and over again in the Bible. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, You're gonna, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. And Jesus talking in, in, in Luke chapter 11, keep on uh, asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. There's a promise there that you'll find him. And then in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so you call on the name of the Lord, you get saved, and then you start seeking after God with all your heart. And so we read here in in verse 5, it's interesting, looking at Psalm 53 about these, you know, people, and and, 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 in verse 5, there they are in great fear where no fear was, For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And so, 
It's interesting to me the way that David writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's writing like heavy soteriology, like heavy doctrine that Paul would quote from in the book of Romans, but he's also talking about something that's really going on in his own life, and here we begin to see now that he's also talking about about Saul, and, 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 and really, you know, they weren't afraid, but now they will be how God's going to deal with them, how God is going to scatter the soldiers of Saul, how God is going to scatter the followers of Satan, right? Verse 5, there they are in great fear where there was no fear. And remember Saul, when he was about to die, he was afraid. And God's going to deal with them, right? Uh, Verse 6 is interesting. And maybe David praying for him and the people that were with him that they'd be permitted to return one day and the nation would be blessed. Look at verse 6 again, a little closer. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when God brings back that captivity of his people. And so you're wondering, wait a minute, David, they weren't under captivity when you were around. And so you wonder, maybe was it added later? Maybe. But it's a Psalm of David, and so maybe David is kind of talking about the day that he and his 600 men and their families would be allowed back into Israel, and Israel would be saved. They would be that awesome nation, and and that's exactly what happened. But it's also a picture ultimately of who? Jesus. When Jesus comes back, and, and Israel is saved. And so it's just a beautiful thing that, that you see here. And, and so as a result of that, the people are saved. And so let's see if we can race through one more psalm because I know you guys are, are cool for the next hour, right? And so uh, verse one, to the chief musician, Psalm 54, with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David when the Ziphites went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your strength. Now, the background to this psalm is 1 Samuel 23 and 1 Samuel 26. A couple of times, again, when David was on the run, he's hiding in the strongholds in the woods, and the people of the area, the Ziphites, they're, uh, I don't know, narcs, they're informants. You know, they say, hey, you know, David is here with us. And so they go and they tell Saul, Uh, what's going on and so when you read the story it's interesting when you read first samuel 23 david was in the city of keilah he had rescued them from the philistines and now that he's in the city saul comes after him and then the men of keilah they're ready to turn david in even though he just saved them and then he goes into the stronghold and now the ziphites turn him in and again you fast forward to chapter 26 and the ziphites turn him in again And it just seems like everybody's against him when you look at the whole thing. You know, David here, uh, God protected him when Saul came. The Ziphites turned him in the first time. And then God protected him because then the Philistines invaded the land. And so Saul went back to Israel. And the second time is when Saul was asleep. You guys remember? And, uh, And Abner was asleep, his general. And so David goes down with one of his guys and he grabs his water jug and his spear that are next to his head. David could have killed him. But David didn't, and David goes up and says, Saul, why are you coming after me? God had protected him. And the Ziphites turned him in, but but God had protected him, just like God will protect you. So cool to know that. And and it's okay to pray, though. David knows he's protected, but you got to pray. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your strength. Now, now, to vindicate is, is something different, right? Uh, to vindicate would be something where it would redeem his name from the injustices that have been hurled against him. David was not only asking for protection, he was asking for vindication, a word that means to clear someone of blame or suspicion, and, and both would require none other than God's intervention. And so we read in verse 2, Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me, and oppressors have sought after my life. They have not said God before them, Selah. 
You know, people he didn't even know, you know, from Ziph were rising up against him. Saul and his soldiers were oppressing him. They had no conscience nor conviction. They did not set God before them. We read there in verse 3. You know, and you guys, I don't know where you're at. Do you guys know that you're in a war? Do you guys know that the enemy's trying to take you down? Do you guys know that? Sometimes it's obvious. You see it, you know, in, in your boss or whoever it is that comes against you or maybe different people. But if, even if you don't see it, I pray that you would know it, that there is a battle, you know, and the devil wants to, you know, put you to sleep, man. He wants to take you out of the battle. He wants to discourage you with his double-edged sword. And so, you know, be, be careful with that. Um, verse 4, I love this. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. Now, verse 4, it says, Behold. So David says, as he's writing the psalm, and he knows it's going to be played all over the radio. I'm just joking. He knows everybody's going to be singing this song. He just said, Look. Look at my life. Look. Did you read the Bible? Can you see the way the Lord protected him? And, and God is, David's kind of saying, that's the God that we serve. Don't, don't look at me. It's got nothing to do with me. Look at my God. That's your God. Behold, the Lord is my helper. I, I love that. The Lord is, is my helper. You know, and, and we could say the same thing. When I think of helper, I think of my wife, of number one. I think of God. I think of the Holy Spirit. Four times in the Gospel of John, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our helper. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And I love Hebrews 13, 5. It says, So we may boldly say, Hebrews 13, 6, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I mean, I don't know, man. Doesn't that... Put some wind to your sail, you guys. Doesn't that put some spring to your step? Doesn't that kind of get you a little moved and, and motivated just to know that whatever it is that God's calling you to do, that, that God has in front of you, that, that he's going to help you to do that? No matter what. You know, and so David here, even in this crazy situation, he says, I know, and, and, I, and I love it because he's right in the middle of it. And to me, that's much more admirable than when you're out of it. But when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the middle of the fire, the storm, or the raging sea, and you're, and you're saying it then with confidence, it means so much more. And that's when God wants us to say it. You know, I mean, it's interesting. He can... I was even thinking about this. He can even help our faith because David was not a perfect man. There were times where he slipped and he lapsed and none of us are perfect. And so just in case you're here tonight and you're thinking, yeah, well, I'm just, I kind of have my ups and downs and, and I go sideways sometimes and it's okay. David did too. So did Abraham, the man of faith. There's a really cool passage in the Bible, Mark 9, 23 and 24, when you know this man was asking Jesus to help him with his son, his son was going through tremendous problems, you know, and he's all, can you help him? Can you help him? And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So even in that, we can ask for help and he will help. You know, I, I think verse 4 is kind of interesting too. Notice again, behold, God is my helper. Notice the Lord is with those who uphold my life. He's with those who are supporting me. He's with those who are, are helping me. You know, David could have very easily thrown himself a big pity party, right? He could have done that. The the, the key lights turned me in and the, the Ziphites were against me and Israel's against me, Saul's against me, his army's against me. And it kind of leads, like, have you guys ever heard that phrase, the whole world's against me? Sometimes we feel that way. But David acknowledged, number one, that God was with him, and number two, that God was with those who were supporting him. 
there were still people who believed in him. And it's so cool how he says that there and he acknowledges that. You know, verse 5, He will repay my enemies for their evil, cut them off in your truth, and I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me out of all trouble. And you guys know what all means? All means all. And that's all all means. You guys know that, right? <laughs> he has delivered me out of all trouble. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemy. I just love the way it ends right here. Uh, again, you know, I will freely sacrifice to you, um, not out of obligation, but just uh, out of freely sacrificing, praising God because of the fact that God has saved him. And, and, and what we find at the end right here is, again, like we started off in the beginning, huh? You don't have to worry about it, man. Justice will be served. Amen? And so you guys uh, heard this story. Why don't we have the musicians come forward? Um, you guys remember this story you know, about uh, this lady, Verma Cermak? Um, her life is an interesting story, and it pretty much has been defined by one incident that took place toward the end of the 70s where Vera lived in Prague with her husband, but all was not well with their marriage. And at some point, she learned that her husband had been unfaithful to her. And so uh, when she found that out, she was just devastated. And so following what seems to be just something that can happen a lot of times, she actually thought that by taking her life, uh, she would be set free And so you guys remember the story. She jumped off the third floor balcony to, uh, to, to, you know, to her death. But a passerby broke her fall. He basically saved her life. But in the process, he died. And when she landed on him, it turns out that the man she landed on was her husband. Now, I know that's, you're like, oh, you know, that's a terrible story. And I know you don't wish that on your worst enemy or, not, or anything, but, but isn't that, I mean, in one sense, doesn't that, it's a true story, by the way. You guys, with God, there will be poetic justice. And, and, it, and, and I don't know if that encourages you or not, you know, but I pray that if you ever find yourself discouraged because of the things that you see around you that are wrong, I pray that you would know that God's on the throne and he is going to take care of everything flawlessly. 